three, two, one, and we are live again. Welcome to CodeCast Season 2, Episode 2, uh, Furious Competitor Season. So I we often think that you know Furious Competitors can come in a lot of like business-based acumens, but there's also people that have really strong passions that they're furiously committed to. Um, I have, this is probably going to be one of the most interesting and fun interviews we're going to get to do in a while from a couple different standpoints. First off, so I don't forget, shout out Brandon Ginter um, for connecting me to Chris. Uh, Chris is a guy that like after Brandon told me his story, I called Chris out of nowhere. I never met Chris before until 20 minutes ago. So these are always the best interviews because I don't know anything more than what I've been able to look up a little bit. So uh, we are here with Chris Baker of Inc. 180. Chris, how are we feeling? Great. How are you doing? I'm hey, doing great. God's good for this one. Absolutely. So, um, Chris, first off, so in this tattoo shop, this is so interesting. Now, obviously, I haven't spent a lot of time in a lot of tattoo shops, but yeah. there is so many cool things here that like, when you walk into a place and it's, you know, there's a story behind almost everything, I'm just curious to know. So when you walk in here, there's a bunch of bandanas, right? Yeah. Okay. Can you tell me really quickly about the bandanas so I don't forget? Yeah, so when we started Inc. 180, it was uh, back in 2011 when we started all this. And, uh, you know, I grew up in South Central L.A., and a lot of my friends were involved in gangs. I have 17 friends who were killed growing up due to their, you know, their lifestyle in gangs. But uh, I moved out here and really just to get away from all that. But when I did, I saw that Chicago was you know the same or worse than la was and we started ink 180 to start removing gang tattoos for people that were just trying to change their lives and go in a better direction like some of my friends were in la before their lives ended unfortunately um because you know it's it's hard to change your life and live out your life as a new person like everything in this ministry is around second corinthians five seventeen that says you know therefore anyone who is in christ is a new creation the old is dead and the new is here and um, it's hard to live your life out as a new creation when you're wearing the, the old evidence of your, your former life all yeah. over your body, right? Touche. So, and then the bandanas, when we started doing all that, you know, we would tell them, like, look, that part of your life is dead. It's gone. It's finished. Um, I want to leave your colors here because I want you to walk out the door truly as a different person. Totally. And you don't need to lean on that bandana anymore. So they would tear them in half and, and tie them up on these lines running from one end of the shop to the other and we call it the graveyard because it's it's the old dead life that's no longer in existence so it's like an actually physical representation like yeah. shedding the old self yeah right on. and it's cool because when when men or women come in here you know to get their their gang tattoos removed or covered they see that and they ask what what is all this I tell them like it's a whole bunch of people just like you that were trying to go in a better direction for sure so yeah i also like the fact that so before we're going to get to more on the business side of things, I don't get sidetracked in my brain. So sure. first, I think it's also awesome if we get to know like who's Chris Baker, right? Because like yeah. the the cause is awesome, but sometimes even more interesting is like the person behind it. Sure, right? So like, have you always been in the tattoo? Like, how did you get into this? Yeah. So when I was a kid, back when I was like five years old, I'll never forget this. My so my uncle was a hell's angel when I was growing up. Okay, and. He would come pick me up on Saturdays sometimes and take me to his buddy's tattoo shop in Long Beach, California. And I would just sit on the counter all day and watch him and his buddies get tattoos. And I thought it was so cool. But it was so different back then. You know, it was, this was, you know, 40, 45, 46 years ago 
when the only people getting tattoos really were bikers, gangsters, and military. And it was just this, the edginess of it, kind of the grit of it. And um, I loved it. But I started, I started tattooing when I was 15, um, growing up in South Central LA. Um, I was never involved in the gangs. My friends knew I wasn't about that life and they protected me from it. You know, the ones that were in the gangs protected me and my mom and my sister. Um, but I started tattooing them when I was 15, just using my mom's sewing kit, sitting out on the front porch, tapping, really? know, tapping tattoos. Like old school tribal style? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, not not that great, but <laughs> just doing, you know, stick and poke tattoos for these guys. And I'm curious to know, it, it would just lead me to ask, because yeah. what's the one thing, it's, it's much easier for your environment to bring you down than you to bring all your buddies out of the environment. Yeah, for sure. So... Growing up in an area that I mean is notoriously known for gang involvement, like yeah. what was the one thing that kept you from getting sucked into it? Because that's almost a credit into it itself. Honestly, so my parents divorced when I was thirteen. We were we were living in Orange County, California, when they were married, which was nice. And then my dad left the country, and we moved to Carson, California, is just south of Compton. And um, they knew I wasn't about that life, but. More importantly, my mom, so I was raised by an Irish Catholic mom. Okay. And I just, I didn't want to be, my dad had done a lot of things um, to hurt my mom and, you know, stuff. And I wasn't going to be the next man to, to yeah. hurt my mom, you know. And I just wanted to be a good kid and um, not cause problems for her because she was already dealing with a lot. And the the gang members in the neighborhood did not want to mess with my mom either because she would cook dinner for them and she loved them just like she loved me and my sister. Um, so they had a lot of respect for her too, and they they didn't want to see me get pulled into that either. Right on. It was crazy though. I mean, I, it's so interesting too to not only have your uncle be a part of one of you could arguably say one of the most well known yeah gangs in the country. Notorious, yeah. Right. That yeah. I mean. It, from the optics level of it too, like just watching so much content with like how the right. optic is created to the general public yeah. of like toy drives and stuff like this, like guys, yeah. oh yeah, well done. Yeah, they're they're not you know the nice sons of anarchy cleansed version. I mean, there there's some real stuff going on. Quick um, aside to that, I was in Sacramento, California, a few weeks ago doing some cover ups, and I was seeing all these hell's angels around the whole time I was there. I was there for about four days, more than usual. And I had forgotten that Sonny Barger, who founded the Hells Angels, had just died. He passed from cancer. And he was from Oakland. So they were all there. Like, all the North American members of the Hells Angels were there in town for his funeral, which was held at the Oakland Alameda Coliseum where the Raiders used to play. Really? That many guys we're talking about. I'm in the airport getting ready to fly back home. And uh, I'm sitting at my gate, and I see three guys with Hell's Angels cuts walk and sit down at the next gate, flying home to Phoenix. And I walked over to him. I was like, "Here's a here's a God opportunity." Walked over to him, and I said, "Hey, sorry, sorry to hear about Sonny. My uncle was a member. He's long past, but um, just wanted to see if I could pray for you guys. Just safe safe travels home and stuff." Yeah. And they're like, "Yeah, man, that'd be great." So we're standing. I stand up and put my arms around these three Hell's Angels and. Man, I could imagine the looks we were getting, but it was a cool kind of full circle moment from sitting there hanging with my uncle and his buddies and then praying for these three guys. Dude. It was really cool. So what I have to I'm assuming not much scares you in life. No, like nothing. No, it I mean it doesn't scare me. Nothing really shocks me. Things bother me. 
but nothing scares me. Nothing, I, it's like nothing new under the sun. Why do you think that is? Like how? I mean, I've seen a lot. Um, you know, one of my one of my best friends bled to death in my arms after being shot three feet away from me. Um, I've sat in this room with sex trafficking survivors as young as twelve years old, telling me their story, and and it it's not that it doesn't hurt; it hurts immensely. Like uh, I go I go to counseling every week because I have to. If I don't, I just absorb everything, push everything mm. down, and then I'm no good to anybody. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't scare me. I've had death threats. I've had face-to-face issues with gangs. I do street ministry at Inglewood, the worst four square miles of Chicago. Like, I'm not afraid because I know that what I'm doing is for something bigger than me. Yeah. And it's like, if somebody's going to make me a martyr for Jesus, then good luck. Right. I mean, because it's a mission accomplished. Like, I'm going home yeah, early. Like, I all right. I know where I'm going. You're right. Yeah. That's such a freaking feeling. I wish more people got to understand. It's like, yeah. I don't worry about it. Like, you almost, when you're driving, almost have a near-death experience, you like, chuckle, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could happen. Uh, yeah. Man, that was going to, so that was my other part. And you kind of led into this is that I'm assuming your work, like, the general public thinks it's awesome. There's probably yeah. a subsect of people that are uh, not so fond of yeah. work that you do. Yeah, for sure. Per se. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that was so interesting. Like when I asked you to come on this podcast, you're like, "Yeah, no problem doing it." Yeah, that's a legitimate testament of like actually being about it, not just talking about it and, and running from it. You know what? I love to share what we've been called to do. And it's a, it, to me, it's a blessing to be able to do this work, and I don't want to keep it to myself because Jesus has done incredible things, not just in our lives because of the work that we get to do, but in the lives of the people that we get to help. Mm. And you know. We get a front row seat to watch Jesus transform hearts and minds every day. And I'd love to share that with people because it will inspire somebody. When, so this faction of tattooing that you're doing. Yeah. I'm assuming, and correct me, I'm wrong, I could be shot ass wrong, that when you were sewing, you know, tattoos on your front porch with your mom's sewing machine, you yeah. didn't, Ink 180 was not the vision of what oh, I was going to no. turn into. This is way before faith in my life. Like, I, I joke when I speak in churches that when I was a kid, I had a drug problem. My mom drugged me to Catholic church every Sunday. And <laughs> I hated it, you know. And Like as a teenager, I distanced myself. I ran away from all that. And she got tired of complaining about it. So um, I didn't really have true faith in my life until I turned 38. And um, I, was, I was at the lowest part of my life. I was suicidal. Um, I had PTSD anxiety, depression, stuff that I never addressed, never got help for it because I grew up in a house where my dad would tell me, oh, counseling's for girls. We don't do that right. shit. You know, grow up, be a man, suck it up kind of thing. And that's garbage. Um, and I talk about that as much as I can. Like my life was trans, the transformation of my life by Jesus was started because a Christian counselor prayed for me and my wife. And I can tell people the date, time, and place where I knew that Jesus was real, the Holy Spirit was real, and my life started a much different trajectory from that moment because this woman who didn't know me a damn thing right. thought enough to pray for me, and it it just it took took root right away, and it's been a crazy ride, dude. So. We get that transformation, right? And, and you yeah. always had your own setup and own shop, or like, no, no. okay, no. I always worked in other shops. Um, 
Which, doing this work, I could never work in any other shop because they're just so dark and, and heavy and stuff. Um, no, we didn't open this shop until after we started the ministry. When we started Inc. 180, I started it in the basement of my house. So, so wait, hold on. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> you... That, okay, <laughs> hold on. So you're bringing in, you're telling me, like, you're bringing in people that might not be, have the best background. Absolutely. Might still slightly be involved in something that is not so great. Right. Coming into your house. Yeah. And you got so, kids, right? Yeah, oh yeah, three kids. So when we, when we started this, I, I told my wife, she's like, that's great, I love it. Like, where are we going to do this and how are we going to pay for it? I said, well, we're going to, we're gonna I'm going to build a little studio out in the basement, no big deal. And we're probably only going to do like two or three a month, so... Cost-wise, it shouldn't be too crazy. And uh, no, yeah, I set up a little studio in the corner of my basement, and I'm bringing in, you know, former, you know, or ex-convicts, yeah. former gang members. And I don't know if they're really former or not. They right. could be coming in and could smoke me in my garage or in my basement while my kids are upstairs doing their homework and Lisa's cooking dinner, you know. Um, but it's just one of those things, too. I, I say it all the time. Like, yes, have we had threats? Absolutely we have. Will we have more? Yeah, no doubt. No question. Um, but I truly feel like God protects us. We are protected. It's not, I'm not bulletproof. I'm not yeah. Superman by any stretch of any imagination. But I just feel like truly safe in what we're doing. Like, How many you know, How many years ago was it from the first like studio tattooed your house to where we're at now? So that was 11 years ago. So about we went about a year at the house, doing it at the house, and then um, WGN did a news story, and it kind of shook things up. The health department called me and like, oh, we love what you're doing, but like, where are you doing this? And I was like, uh, they're like, you can tell us you're not going to get in trouble. And I was like, well, I'm doing it here in my basement. And the health department, Illinois Health Department, actually really helped us really with the momentum and getting things going to get a shop. Really? Because they said, we love what you do. It's a huge need in the community. We want to help you any way we can, which is completely unusual. Yep. They don't usually make it that easy for tattoo shops to open. Um, but it was it was just a whole God thing. Like, you know, we, we got this shop that we're sitting in right now. I signed a five-year lease on it knowing full well that there was no zoning in Oswego for tattoo shops. And we were going to have to petition to get a zoning exception. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was going to be a huge fight because people had tried to open shops in Oswego before and were denied. Um, but they had heard about the work that we were doing through the media and all that and really have been amazing. The, the village of Oswego has been tremendous since day one. Damn. And uh, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy story, man. Sure. I mean, it's it's so cool. Like we're still running strong, right? I'm assuming yeah. it's only getting bigger and bigger and bigger, bigger, bigger and bigger. Yeah, I mean, we're going all over the country, and I'm getting ready to go to Thailand this year. I want to go to Ireland this year. There's organizations all over the world because the the branding of sex trafficking survivors is something that they're seeing all over the world. This isn't just a U.S. thing. Was it now for the sex trafficking tattoos? Um, was it originally gang stuff and eventually it bled over into that? Or how did that... Uh, yeah, so what happened was about six months into the start of the ministry, my church had asked me to do an update on a Sunday. So I went in, I, I gave the update at, at service, and one of my friends is an agent on Homeland Security. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came up to me after church. He was all, like, caffeined up. He's like, man, you got you to gotta come talk to my gang unit. They'd love to work with you. And I was like, 
man, that's awesome. I'd love to. Because I was working with, like, state and local kind of cops yeah. and probation officers and, and stuff like that. I was like, man, the feds, that would be sick to be able to work with federal right. agents, right? Right on. So he set it up, and, and I was going up there to present to their gang team, and he called me the, on the way up there, and he said, hey, um, our sex trafficking team would love to hear what you're doing and see if you could work with them, too. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I had no idea what sex trafficking was. I had heard anything I had ever heard about sex trafficking was, like, Thailand, yeah. Eastern Europe, you know, Russia. Um, I was like, something that hideous could not happen here. Yeah, yeah. And they spent about two, two and a half hours that day just breaking it down for me. And it messed me up big time because, um, you know, I did the gang presentation. 15 minutes, we were partnered. That was done deal. Easy. For sure. Job, right? The sex trafficking thing, I just asked them to educate me. And they started telling me about cases that they had finished and started showing me pictures of these these kids and telling me, you know, the average age that these kids get pulled into sex trafficking is 13 years old. And I was, like, sitting there with my, my hand, my palm in my face. And like, how could this even happen? Right. And how, even more so, I was, I was angry because I've always looked at myself and thought of myself as someone that's pretty street smart. And I was like, how do I not know that this is happening? And it's at the level that it is. How do I know nothing about this? And um, at about the two-hour mark of this meeting, they started showing me pictures of the tattoos and, you know, barcode tattoos or pimp's names tattooed on these girls' necks and horrible, vulgar images tattooed on them and scars from injuries from pimps and traffickers. And it made me sick um, on three different levels. It made me sick as an artist um, because they were using the art form that I love so much. Yeah. I love the history of tattooing, where it's come from, how it's progressed. And for the second time, I've seen it used in just an atrocious way. First, of course, the Holocaust. Right. Now, sex trafficking. Um, as a father, it made me sick because, like we said, I have three kids. Yeah. And... These kids that they were showing me look just like my kids or their friends or, you know, neighborhood kids. And then I think um, most significantly as a man, it disgusted me because men are out there buying sex and paying for sex. And what in the hell is wrong with our society where men are out there paying to have sex with 13, 14, 15 year old kids, much less adults, Right. you know? And um, it fired me up pretty big. So we partnered on that. And, uh, you know, like the federal government loves to do when they hear about a great free program that can help people, they yeah. tell their friends about it. So the FBI called us about a week later. We partnered with the FBI, which was huge. Uh, we love working with them. The U.S. Attorney's Office, the State Department in D.C. I went and met with John Kerry when he was Secretary of really? State. And I'm like, this is some crazy stuff, but... It's just, um, it's been incredible. And, and from that point, it just skyrocketed, took off like crazy. I got to ask then, okay, coolest guy that you got to meet doing this? Oh, so he's one of my best friends now. It's Brian Welch from Corn. He's You're like kidding. one of my closest friends, one of the most solid Christians I've ever met in my life. I've heard documentaries about that guy of yeah. like, 
Man. He saw, I was just, we were just with him a few weeks ago. They played in Tinley Park. How'd you guys, like, become friends? So he, uh, when I when I got saved, I was always a fan of Corn when I was a kid. And when I got saved, I went to uh, family Christian stores and bought a Bible because I didn't have one. And then I saw his book, his first book that he wrote is called Save Me From Myself. And it was right there. And I saw, I was like, oh, this, and I don't read for pleasure. I just, I have ADD. Yeah. But I saw it and I was like, oh, I want to see that. Because I had heard he left the band and he was a Christian now and all this stuff. So I wanted to read it. Anyway, he he uh, he formed another band called Love and Death. So musically, it sounds a lot like Corn. It's like that hard rock, yeah. you know. But it's all Christian lyrics, real heavy stuff. And uh, you know, I, I like my worship music a little heavier. Right. And they were playing in Joliet. They were opening up for Red. Okay. And took my son. My I think my son was like ten at the time. We went and saw Brian's band open up for for Red. And then we were leaving because he had school the next morning. But we were walking past where the buses all are backstage, and the gate was open. And I see this tall, skinny guy with dreads, like a silhouette, because it was real dark and stuff. Just walked over there. and Basically, I just said, hey, my name's Chris. I said, oh, you know, I've been a fan for a long time. I said, I'm a new Christian, and I picked up your book, and it's phenomenal. I just want to say thanks for writing it, because it meant yeah. it said a lot. It spoke a lot to me. And uh, it was it was kind of chilly. I think it was like early March. And he's like, "You guys want to come on the bus for a minute and just hang out?" And that was it, dude. Yeah. And from then on, man, we've been super super tight. That's awesome. Yeah. So, not to pull one eighty. Yeah. Right, 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 right there. Um, then you talk about like the sex trafficking thing. So yeah. when you hear about it, right? You hear about it, hearing about it, hear about it from like guys that you're talking about it. Mm. Can you describe what it was like hearing about it, and then you go to do in tattoo victim number one? Yeah. What was that like? Well, it was very. Uh, I'm always very cautious, right? No matter what the person's situation is coming in for help, I'm very cautious because I don't want to trigger something. Yeah. You know, uh, sex trafficking survivors do have pretty much one thing in common. They have very deep trauma scars mm. and PTSD. Um, so I'm always very mindful of that. And I know also that being, you know, six foot four covered in tattoos with a shaved head, I don't look like the nicest guy necessarily. Um, so I'm always very methodical. Uh, but I, I wasn't even prepared for, for what I was about to hear. It was a 17 year old girl and we were removing her tattoos and she was telling me about some of the situations and some of the people that paid for her and the abuse and you know it's not i mean it's bad enough that these people are paying to have sex right them, right but the physical abuse that takes place and and different stuff um the the first girl that i had helped she, i'm sitting there and, and i'm removing these tattoos and she said oh you i heard you cover scars with tattoos also and i said yeah i do and she said, well, I've got some that I'd love for you to take a look at. And then maybe when I turn 18, you can do a cover-up on that. I said, sure, I'd love to help you with that. And <laughs> we were finished up. And I said, oh, I said, if you'd like to show me those scars, I can take a look and see what we can do for you. And she pulls kind of the, the shoulder, her shoulder out of her T-shirt, yeah. you know, kind of slid it down her arm. And I see all these scars on her shoulder blade area. Okay. And I'm like... All right, well, I know enough about self-harm that most people aren't 
cutting themselves yeah. on their shoulder blades. And she said, um, she said, let me explain. I was like, well, if, if you want to, you don't yeah. have to. Right. She's like, no, I want to, I want you to know. Like she said, every time I would go out and I would not make my quota. So all these visa victims are given a quota. Yeah. Don't come back here tonight until you have this much money. Mm-hmm. Right. And she would come back some nights and she was short. Some nights it was a couple hundred dollars short. Some nights it was like $20 short. Right. Her pimp had a, a gold-plated razor blade that he had on his chain, like a charm around his neck. You would take it off and you'd cut her to remind her that she didn't make quota. Uh, mm. That's unacceptable. And it just made me sick because how sick are you that you're going to torture a human being right? in any way? Right. And it just, it opened me up to see, like, I don't know what I'm getting into, but I know that, that Jesus knows what I'm getting into, and he's going to make me learn some stuff and be the mouthpiece to share how vile this world is. Dude. Yeah. It's, and I tell people all the time, <laughs> when I started, I would drive home from here. I live about 10 minutes from the shop. I would drive home sobbing at the end of a night. Because I don't know how I'm going to explain to my wife and, at that time, my older kids yeah. um, what I had heard. And I would say, God, I'm, it, it couldn't get worse than what I just heard. And I stopped saying that because every time I would say it, it would get worse. Every time. Like, I literally go see my counselor. We do an hour. I offload all this stuff. And then she tells me, all right, now I'm going to go offload that to my counselor. And it's like this ripple effect of man exhaling it because it's hideous I almost feel like admittedly like I'm blessed to be in this chair mm. right that like it all worked out that like it creates a platform where sure there's so many people that are hopefully listening to say like I'm not worthy to be sitting in this chair right now like who the hell am I right like I feel the same way about myself like who am I you know when, when I got saved, I prayed, and I said, God, you know what? I don't know what you have intended for me. I know that you've had a lot of things in mind that I've ignored for years, and I'm just going to give you the keys and let you drive. The re- whatever time I have left on this earth, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And it has been a blessing and, a, and sometimes a curse. But when you, I tell people all the time, be careful what you ask for, because he'll give you, Yeah, you know, give you what you're here for at the end of the day it is a it is a tremendous blessing to be able to do what i do even in the hardest days the darkest days the saddest days um it's it's a tremendous honor and blessing to be able to do the work that i get to do you know this is part as a part business podcast yeah (laughs) i'm you know smiling about this you know inevitably when you get called out of the bullpen Right. right yeah how do you want Inquinity to be remembered? Just as, uh, you know, I, I want me and my team to be remembered for not just sitting on the sidelines, you know, doing doing what we're about, saying what we're about and doing it and living it out and not um, doing it in any way that's judging people or, you know, just showing grace, just truly exuding grace on people that, Honestly, a lot of society wants to pretend don't exist. You know, I go into prisons, I go into jails, and 
people tell me. I've, I've had people tell me when I speak in churches about this. I'm like, why do you waste your time on those people? Mm. Like, are you kidding me? Have you read the Bible? Like, Jesus didn't hang out with the affluent and the, right. the pretty people and the, the most, um, you know, scrupulous folks that were, like, above reproach. Right. He hung out with prostitutes, tax collectors, and, and thugs, man. Right. Like, you know, and he turned ten of the worst men into disciples. Like, come on. You know, that's what, that's what I see. When I look at, at my faith and what it means, like, to me, you know, Jesus was a renegade. He didn't do what he did to make people happy, to please people. He did it to save people. And, you know, I to me, my life is, I, you know, I am not a perfect person. I tell people that all the time. Inside my right bicep, it says God deserves better. So that when I wake up every morning and I look at that, it reminds me, you know what? I, I'm not going to be perfect today, but I just need to be a little bit better than I was yesterday. Totally. And, you know. The world is a mess because sin is a mess and people need to get a mop shut up and start cleaning it up. Right. I'm tired of people, you know, pounding their chest about politics. Stop politicizing your faith. You know, like the last time I checked, Jesus wasn't Republican nor Democrat. Right. It's you really know? inconvenient for tell people and, that. And people are so focused on the political crap going on in the world. And I'm not saying that they should ignore it, but man, just help people. Right. Just be good people. Be good citizens of the world. And, you know, live your faith out in an authentic way that helps people. I tell my kids and, and others all the time, like, it's really easy to go to bed at night when you helped somebody that day. That For sure. Could, that could never pay you back. It's the greatest blessing ever. If you yeah. want to find true self-happiness, it's not helping yourself. It's helping somebody else. Right. And I have tattoo artists that used to be friends of mine that hate my guts because I do what I do 100% free of charge. And they're like, but you're taking money off of our plate. Like, these what? people that I'm helping couldn't, they can't eat. Like, there's times where I get people in here for removals or cover-ups, and I can kind of tell, like, they're hungry. Yeah. I'm like, when was the last time you ate something? Because I don't want them to pass out yeah. on me, right? I'm like, oh, a couple days ago. So I'm ordering Jimmy John's to get sandwiches in here to give them something to eat so they don't pass out. Yeah. I'm like, you're really thinking that they could pay a thousand dollars to have that tattoo removed? You're crazy. For sure. And you know, I had years where I made a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and I had all the cars, the yeah. motorcycles, the toys, the vacations, and I was trying so hard to fill a Jesus shaped hole in my heart with garbage. Right. And I was miserable. I had all that stuff and I was miserable. And now I make about $40,000 a year. About 20% of the work I do is paid work. 80% is given away for free. Dude. And I make about $40,000 a year and I'm happier now than I've ever been at any point in my life. It's incredible, right? Like we yeah. think money is like the pursuit of money is going to make it happy. It's yeah. like one, the journey is always the fun part of like what you learn about yourself along right. the way. Absolutely. The money is just a side project yeah. of it anyways. Yeah. Um, man. So you... Like, we, we, we come in full combinations. And one thing I love about this space, I've gone, like I said, I haven't gone to a ton of tattoo parties, but I've gone to a couple. Yeah. It's like a warm environment. It's like, yeah. oh, I come in here and play Xbox if I had one. Like, yeah, right. Fun spot. Yeah. Um, yeah, we tried to do, that was our, our goal from the beginning. You know, like, first of all, yeah, there's a lot to look at in here. And I do that purposely because I want people to kind of get a feel for what we're about and what, you yeah. know, where we come from, what's important to us. 
but to take their mind off the discomfort of the process that they're going through also, right? When they have a lot to look at, yeah. it kind of pulls your mind off of the the pain of the tattoo or the removal. It's like sensory overload in here, right? Yeah, now. Some of the a idiots, little bit. Like, Man, they got the purple shading over there. Like, all right, yeah. that's kind of cool. Right. So, but when we did this, you know, we said we want to make it more of like a kind of feel like a spa where it's quiet. Yeah. It's not like loud, like death metal blasting, you know, bass pumping, you know, questionable stuff on the TVs. Like when people come in, I I have an Apple TV with about a hundred movies. I'm like, what kind of movies do you like? What do you want to watch? You yeah. Know, or do you want to watch TV or do you want to listen to music? I have satellite radio. I'll put on whatever you want except for country because I have no time for it. <laughs> but, uh, like I want people to feel as comfortable as possible, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, it, it's funny because I always joke and I'm half joking, mostly serious, but you know, my wife doesn't let me decorate at home, so I just did it here. Right on. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. I feel like in a weird other than faith, like you and I are somehow related because my place is has a similar vibe where it's yeah. like my realtor always is like, when we go to sell this, you're gonna have to change everything. It's everything. Like, That's cool. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Um right on. So great like when you think about the the next chapter, right? Like you built this right now. Like this is this is sweet. Yeah. And as someone who's always growing, right? Like when you've got faith backing you up, that's the ultimate competitive advantage. Like positivity yeah. and faith. Absolutely. Like people, I always laugh, right? People that truly have deep faith mm-hmm. and are scared. It's like, well, to me now, hold on, you're a theorist. You're not a practitioner. Right. Right. Because the practitioner one is living in the external part of the faith. Absolutely. So like I can go, I can think as big as I want to because it's kind of like when the fear gets too big, you just lean on the faith. Yeah. Neutralize it. What's next for you guys? The easy answer is whatever God's plan is, but really what I've kind of been praying into, we have, um, we used to have a RV that okay. we, we would take and we would go into to Inglewood. Basically, it was set up like a mobile tattoo shop. Right on. So we, you know, for people who couldn't get down here to Oswego, we would go to them. And unfortunately, that went south. The engine went, the transmission went, it wasn't worth fixing. And um, But I've got a, a friend of ours who has a, a barbershop in um, West Chicago, and he has an RV that he set up for a mobile barbershop. So it's set up exactly the yeah, same yeah. as we would need flooring-wise and all that. And he's selling it, so I'm trying to figure out a way to raise about $40,000 to go buy that and be able to take it all over the country because, you know, we do so much of our work is outside of Oswego. You know, this is our home base, but... You know, we go to the Super Bowl every year and we help law enforcement look for kids who are being trafficked. They come in, they're recovered, they come in, they have tattoos. Man, how cool would it be to be able to do that removal right then and there? Yeah. Before they go into a safe house or a drug treatment program or whatever. Um, Or to be able to go to, you know, Gary, Indiana or Inglewood or South Central L.A. and do a bunch of removals for people, you know, go all over the country. So... That's that's what we're seeing next. I don't know. I mean, if, if if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, we'll see. But um, I just think it would be a tremendous thing to have going again because I know what it meant to people um, who couldn't get here. I mean, it's who cares if you guys spend all the money? It helps one per. It's yeah more than yeah. What's a soul worth, right? I'm not even going to try to quantify it. Yeah, infinite and is what it's it, worth. It yeah. is and. You know, we we look at that and, and some of the stories, I there's times, the hard days where, you know, there's times where we don't have enough to keep the electricity on in this place. You know, we're praying like, God, like, come on, we need 118 bucks. Like, right. come on. 
Um, and it'll come through. Like, we've never had to turn anyone away. And it'll be 11 years in October. In a couple of weeks, it'll be the 11th anniversary of the ministry. And we've never had to turn anyone away. We've given over $1.8 million in, in services away for free. Right on. In 11 years. We've helped almost 9,000 people for free. And we built relationships with people. It's not they don't just come in here, get the help, and then they're gone. Like we have become friends with these people. I've done baptisms for these people. I've yeah, done, I've done. Uh, I've officiated their weddings. I've done all kinds of stuff because of them coming in here to get tattoos removed. Like to me, yeah, it's very significant the number of tattoos we've been able to to remove or cover. But for me, my favorite number is how many baptisms we've done. How many Bibles we've given to people for free, you know, like how many people we've prayed with and, you know, we, and there's painful stories there too. Like we've got, you know, a couple guys that were former gang members that were getting out of that life. Unfortunately, they were gunned down in the process of getting out of that life. And um, while that's super, super painful to lose them, I can also take some solace in the fact that. I know that every time I, I spent with them, I prayed with them and I shared Jesus with them. And, you know, Gianni actually got baptized about two weeks before he was killed. And it's like if I, you know, if I take, I try to always take something positive, even from the most horrible situations. Right. Like, I know he knows, he knew Jesus. And time to, I, it's like a cynical joke, like, way to time it out. You know, it's, well, yeah, right. I mean, it's I mean, literally, yeah. Serious. So, yeah, it's, it's nuts, man. Wow. That's crazy. All right. So um, this is one of the things that we talk about all the time of like partially just being a business podcast. And so yeah. the whole story of it, like we've never met before. So like right. the whole part of how I started this is that I'm very fortunate. All my friends, like my really close buddies mm-hmm. are all part of my, like my men's Bible study group. Yeah. Those guys are all like 20 years older, 15 to 20 years older than me. Nice. And run businesses that are significantly larger than mine. Yeah. So I have a bunch of like, because I'm the funnel of just hanging out with those guys all the time and like Absolutely. picking up all those pieces. Yeah. I'd have a lot of my younger friends who run businesses like, what are you learning? So it's like, I'm just trying to give away as much stuff as possible. Yeah. And then it gets to a certain point where it's like, I think the greatest joy you can give is that like, if I have a business and I'm very good at being a reputable source of a business for this, like God gave me the talent to do that, yeah. not for myself, but so that I can just then take those dollars of what you're created and distribute them out to causes that can help glorify him Absolutely. and the kingdom of him. Yep. Uh, big funnel. People say like yeah. making a lot of money is bad. Well, so I'd always put like, well, well, there's a caveat to that. It's like, what yeah. are you doing with it is a big difference. Right. Um, so what, what can my listeners do that would be the most impactfully and directly helpful for you folks to keep spreading the mission? Really spreading the word. And I mean, people, anybody can donate at any time. You know, people ask how we're funded. We're funded just by people who follow our work, believe in it, believe in second chances and, and want to help. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, would I want to have somebody write a $40,000 check so I go buy that RV? Heck yeah, I would. But I'd rather have 10,000 yes. people donate, you know, five bucks here, or a couple of bucks here or there because I, it's from the heart. And I know like, hey, man, like, you know, all I got is five bucks, but I want to help. I tell people all the time, like, don't say, don't ever say, oh, only I, I only have five bucks to donate. And that's huge. Yeah. The fact that you have so little, but you want to give to help somebody else speaks a lot to me. Right. So um, people can donate anytime on our website at ink180.com. Or come to the shop. I'd love to. I love when people come to the shop 
to drop off a donation, a check or whatever to the ministry and show them around and, and see the stuff that they see online, you know, on our Facebook page and, or our Instagram, whatever. And they're like, man, it's, there's, there's like an energy about the place that yeah. you, you can feel, you know, and, um, tell them some stories and, you know, kind of share what we're really about. So. Super cool. No, Chris, God bless, man. This has been, uh, this has been awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks I, uh, I had no idea what was going to happen, but I'm, uh, I'm really excited for this, um, folks. So thank you. Oh, actually, wait, hold on. I'm getting wrapped up in this. Sorry, my ADD yeah, brain. Yeah. Um, since we're part business podcast, so yeah. we always jokingly say, you ever hear like, oh, what's the best piece of business advice you ever got? Mm. There's 8,000 people asking that on podcasts. Right. So one thing we always like to ask business owners is, what is the worst piece of business advice you ever got? Oh, my gosh. The worst. You know, people that would tell me, man, there's going to be some people I hate hearing this. So when we when we started the shop, we got jumped on by the Chamber of Commerce. Okay. Gotta join the Chamber of Commerce. And for for the and for a lot of types of businesses, it is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's great. The networking is great. For us, like it didn't matter. You know, it didn't like our that wasn't how we were trying to grow. And honestly, the regular side of our business, like I said, it's only twenty percent of what we do. We were getting that no problem. Um, because people like when I speak in churches are like, I want you to do my tattoo and yeah, you know, so if it, I didn't really care much about doing that. Um, the whole chamber of commerce thing for some businesses, it's essential. So I'm not saying anything bad about it. Just for me, I didn't want to, and they always got me like pumping money into this and that and the other thing. And right. Like, eh, I'm not really seeing the return from it in this scenario. Right. Same thing with advertising. Like I get calls all the time. Yeah, we want to, you know, advertise you on, on our golf scorecards at this country club. I'm like, that's not really my target audience, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah. I always, that's a, we're, so I'm, I'm about nine years in. Yeah. Have spent zero real dollars on advertising. It's all been off of word of mouth. Like that's, that's how we yeah. built it from day one. Exactly. And so it's always like, we can do this big ass like or like when I get, yeah. Like folks will ask, like, hey, you know, if if you write a check this big, you this is for like this charity event we're doing, and like you give me a sponsor. Like, hey, if you guys, I don't, I don't care. Like, I'll donate the money yeah. and let somebody else if they want the advertisement. Like, that's just not how we're. Right. Yeah, I'd rather just give you a check. We do the same thing. You know, people will hit us up for donations for something. I, I, absolutely, you're doing a fundraiser for a, a organization. I'll donate a gift card, basket, yeah. whatever you want. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I get Google. Google will not stop calling me. Yeah, we want you to advertise. You know, there's, you know, you have the best five, the most five star reviews in the area, and you should really be spending, you know, money to advertise. I'm like, guys, I'm, I get enough regular business. Like, I have no problem filling 25 hours a day. Like, I would laughingly think too that Google probably had no clue what those reviews even said. They just None. saw five stars and it's like, this is a kaching. Yeah. And honestly, they probably don't even look at how many five star reviews. It doesn't, you know. Right. Touché. They just, they just want the money. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Or, you know, any of those Yelp or any of them. Like, For sure. whatever. No, I mean, Chris, this has been awesome. Um, can't wait for you guys to hear this. If you can affect somebody's day in a positive manner today, please do so. Yeah. Um, And here's the next us being the dust us. Later, folks.